All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. It is the most wonderful time of the year. If you're vaccinated, if you're unvaccinated, then according to Joe Biden, you are going to experience, and I quote, severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. We'll be discussing whether or not we think Joe's accurate on this. Coming up next on Making the Argument, when we make the arguments to defend a free society. That's right. Joe Biden, in a uh, White House speech, said this. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. And if it wasn't bad enough, right, that Joe gets up there and says this right around the Christmas season, Whitehouse.gov put it right out there on the website for everyone to see as well because they wanted to make sure that you could both see, listen to, and read this dire prediction coming from the White House, which, again, from a pure marketing perspective, um, I don't know, I don't know that's the message I would have gone with at Christmas, right? At a time of celebration and, and joy, if you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, you know, it's, again, death and despair and, uh, you know, pretty much, I don't know, all the most horrific things from a Charles Dickens novel or something. But... Here's what, we need to, here's what we need to ask ourselves. Because this is, COVID has now been going on a while. And I, I think most of us, when it first started, it was coming across, I think most of us understood that there were legitimate concerns. You know, we, we didn't know uh, what the fatality rate was going to be. We, we didn't know a lot of that, right? We didn't know how it was, you know, contagious it was, uh, who all it was going to affect, what the long-term effects would be. Like, I think, I think we got it. Even those of us who were very, very concerned about a lot of the policies that the government went through. And even though we opposed a lot of those policies at the time that the government was doing it, I, I think we still had some sort of appreciation that, okay, we, we get it why people are, are pushing for this, right? Even if we don't like it, even if we don't think it's the best approach, it's not completely beyond our realm of understanding why they're pushing for it. I do have some question now, right? In December, 2021, right? Where we're on our, our what is it, our third major variant, second major variant? And, and a variant which has behaved the way, turns out, you would expect a variant to behave, which is to say that over time, as these mutations take place within a virus, they tend to get more contagious and less lethal. And that's what we're seeing, right? The, the lethality originally predicted was, was, was a lot higher than it actually ended up being. It, it, it turns out that if you were young and healthy, then, I mean, you, you still could die from this, but chances are you had to have some sort of comorbidity 
or you had to have a compromised immune system, which means this was predominantly lethal for people above the age of 70, right? That, that's where you really started to get into these categories. Uh, above 60 as well, right? But if, if you were under 60, there was still a chance you could die. There was still a chance that it, it could be a severe component. You could be hospitalized, but it was just nowhere near what we, we were kind of thinking originally. And then as time went on and we had different variants and now we're on the Omicron variant, we're seeing that actually, <laughs> um, especially with this last one, there, there's a reason why people in, in the scientific community who are epidemiologists, who are virologists, are essentially saying that, yeah, this, this might be the variant that kind of gets us through it. Now, why are they saying that? Well, they're, they're saying that because of things like herd immunity, right? And herd immunity is generally a combination of natural immunity as, as well as vaccine uh, immunity, which, which creates a circumstance where the virus is no longer able uh, to spread to the same degree that it, that it currently is, and it, and it doesn't do the same damage. You combine that with different variants. If you have a variant or if you have a version of the disease which is more communicable but, but a lot less lethal, more people get it, more people build those natural immunities. And, and now, you know, as a, as a community, right, a herd, right, as a community, we're, we're, we're better protected on the whole from something like this. But the Biden administration is, is using Omicron as, well, no, 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 this is, the, this is the third coming now, right? The third coming of the, I don't know, fourth ho horse of the apocalypse. And this is, this is the reason why he needs even more power to push vaccine mandates. And the reason why that's concerning is because we just got a decision out of the Sixth, court, uh, sixth Circuit Court um, that came in and basically overruled the stay from the, the Fifth Circuit. They said that, no, the, the vaccine mandate can go forward. Obviously, this is going to be challenged. It's probably going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, but Joe Biden using OSHA essentially to tell any business within the United States with more than 100 employees that they have to get vaccinated or get weekly tests or lose their job or face fines and fees from, from OSHA, right? That was stopped by the Fifth Circuit. It's now been kind of you know, reinstituted almost with the Sixth Circuit. But again, it's still going to go up to the Supreme Court. It's not like this is a done issue and we lost. It's more that this was a decision that if you like the Fifth Court uh, decision, you didn't like this one. And I, I think, again, from a scientific perspective, most of us can look at this and, and, and spot some of the obvious flaws in, in what we're doing. So in, in the scientific perspective, again, it's this idea that look guys, you're, you're not going to completely eradicate this virus as if it's never going to exist ever again, right? There, there's going to be a component of that that's there. And the quicker we get to something like herd immunity, um, the, the quicker we, this becomes something that we essentially, you know, we don't like, it's not good, but we, we live with, right? Like the cold or the flu. Uh, the, the other scientific component of this, or we'll just say kind of the, the logical argument against like this vaccine mandate is, you know, one, OSHA is treating any business with 100 employees is like they're exactly the same. Well, there's some business where you have 100 employees where you're working at a, a, you know, a dozen different remote sites. That's very different than having 200 people crammed into a call center, right? But, but the, the regulation just picks 100 as like an arbitrary number that they're going to go with. And this is one of the problems that a lot of us have, a lot of conservatives have, with the government trying to, quote, solve problems, right? Because they, they come in there and they make these arbitrary decisions because you have these people making decisions that, that have no concept of the way it's going to influence millions of people or thousands of businesses, right? And, and they don't have the time or the specific knowledge or the expertise in order to make those, those, those fine-tuning you know, um, you know, adjustments in order to make it make sense. So they just pass these kind of sweeping rules and regulations and the businesses have to comport with them or they go out of business or they come up with some sort of interesting way to get around the law, but then they end up in court when OSHA comes and tries to sue them or, or fine them 
So these are the problems that are created this, right? So th that's some of the, the scientific rationale where we've got a problem with what Joe Biden is, is doing with this process. Um, you know, some of the logical problems are, are, again, point to the fact that government bureaucracies generally do a very bad job of implementing these kinds of regulations in a way that is not arbitrary or, or at least fails to take into account a lot of extenuating circumstances where the regulation actually either doesn't make sense or is, can be even counterproductive. And, and then there's, the, there's a larger argument against the concentration of power in the hands of the federal government and, and the bureaucracies that are controlled by the president. And this is something that, honestly, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, you should be concerned about this. Because when you give this kind of power to the president, or when you give this kind of power to an executive branch agency, you don't just give it for a time of crisis, and you don't just give it to the person that happens to currently occupy the office. Right? This is not a power you have extended only to the good guys. This is a power you've extended to whoever holds that office. And if you don't think they're going to find new ways to be able to use that power in a way you didn't anticipate or approve of, you are out of your mind. And the thing I will tell my fellow conservatives, because I've seen conservatives make some arguments about, well, gosh, when we win, we're, we're going to stick it to them. I will tell you right now, that should not be our approach to governance. Our approach to governance should be protecting individual liberty, protecting property rights, and allowing people to live their lives. And it has to be that way, because I will tell you this much, that the, you know, putting aside this absolutely you know, kind of offensive and stupid quote from, from Joe Biden, if you don't think that the people right now that are furious with Joe Manchin, who are not just questioning the existence of the filibuster, you've got prominent people on the left right now questioning the presence of the United States Senate because they don't find it you know, democratic enough because apparently they skipped any sort of civics class that we had in the United States that, that would have taught them and explained to them why we are a constitutional republic and not a, a democracy, why we're not mob rule. Right? They skipped all of that. If you don't think the same people that are frustrated with limitations on their power right now who are desperately trying to concentrate power in the hands of the people they support, if you don't think they will find new ways and new crises to justify that concentration of power, you're out of your mind. And that's the thing that we need to bring up because at some point, you, you, at some point you will convince enough of the population that this is just the way the game is played and politics is no longer about protecting the Constitution or protecting a way of life or appreciating that we as individuals have different preferences and provided we're not infringing on the liberties of others, that we should be free to pursue happiness. Right? That's no longer going to be the debate. It's no longer going to be how do we best achieve that. It's going to be about one side punishing the other side to the benefit of their own. And all that's going to happen is that's going to flip back and forth to the point where enough people get tired of it, and then things get really bad. All right, so let, let's be honest about what we're talking about here and what we're trying to preserve. But there's, a, there's another side to this that I want to talk about that I think is really important. And, and believe it or not, this actually feeds into kind of my overall feelings on, on Christmas. We talk about what is the true meaning of Christmas. Now, I'm a Christian, so Christmas for me is wrapped up in the birth of Christ. That's, that's the true meaning of it. There's another aspect to it, though, that I want to talk about. Because here's, here's the thing that really concerns me about some of the discussion that's going on. It's not just that, that Joe Biden said you know, for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves. It's not just that he said, um, we're intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated, right? It, it's this constant refrain that we've seen during COVID where, where certain divisions that were present in society already have become that much more pronounced. And, and, we, can, and we can certainly, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around on, on 
you know, things that people say or do, things that I may have say or said or done that have, have caused greater division there. But I think that we need to understand something. This is not just a question of different preferences with respect to policy positions. There is a tone that is starting to emerge that is very, very concerning. And it's the, it's the otherization or the dehumanization of people. And I've always been concerned about this, especially within things like the abortion argument. Right? It, it's this quest where it used to be that everyone acknowledged that this is a baby. Or, or it used to be that there was some confusion or there was some doubt as to whether, you know, when, when a baby became a baby, right? When was it just a clump of cells? When it was a baby? And then we had enough scientific progress where through, you know, understanding of DNA or deoxyribonucleic acid, understanding of the various characteristics we use to, to distinguish between life and non-life. We, we got to a point where there really wasn't any question anymore that at the moment of conception we were talking about human life. And yet... I'm still seeing old arguments about, no, that's a clump of cells. But what's more scary is the arguments I see where people say, no, 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 it's a baby, it's human life, I acknowledge it's human life, but it can be destroyed anyways, and here's the reasons why. Because when I look at this quote where he's saying, like, if you're vaccinated, enjoy the holidays, if you're not vaccinated, you know, get ready for a season of death. And, and he's not just implying this as, as like a warning but he's actually, he's actually separating all of America into two different camps. And he's saying, if you're, if you're vaccinated, we've got your back. And if you're unvaccinated, not only do we not have your back, but it's your fault. And that has the potential to create an environment where some pretty bad things can happen. So it, as I see more and more arguments for the concentration of power in the hands of politicians up in Washington, D.C., or more, or more specifically, more power in the hands of executive branch officials, whether it's presidents or governors, right? It's, it's, this, it's this frustration with limitations on government power. It's, it's, a, it's a large portion of the American population seeing those limitations as standing in the way of them getting what they want, whether it's everything from forgiving student loan debt to abortion, to vaccines, toward you know, paying the rent, whatever it is. And if the converse, as long as the conversation remains in this realm of, okay, what are legitimate functions of government versus what are not legitimate functions of government? As long as the conversation stays within this realm of, um, you know what, you, you, know, you and I may disagree and we're, we're going to have a you know, good discussion about it, but it, ultimately I want you to be free to live your life the way you want. I want to be free to live my life the way I want, right? If I can't convince you, I'm not going to resort to coercing you, right? When that's the conversation, you can actually have a far more plural, uh, pluralistic environment, uh, a far more multicultural environment when you're willing to respect individuals' choices that they make for themselves, provided that they're not infringing on the, the life, liberty, or property of someone else. But once it goes into this realm where, no, that's no longer the debate. The debate is, is I want this particular course of action. If you don't do one, I'm going to force you to do it. And we've talked about this before on this podcast, but there's something different I want to point out right here. Most people inherently understand that it is wrong to take something that somebody else has earned or that belongs to somebody else and use it for your own benefit. They're a little bit more open to the idea that I can take something that someone else has earned if it's for the benefit of someone else that I love or that I care about or that I've determined is more, more needy. Where they become overwhelmingly 
and dangerously comfortable with it is when they become convinced that they're taking something from someone that is evil in service to a greater good. That's the part where all of a sudden you start to see people justifying actions that they never otherwise would justify and that they usually wouldn't justify in their own life. Something they would never do to their neighbor on a person-to-person level. They suddenly agree to on a macro level as long as somebody else is doing it for them. But you can't get to that point until you've completed this process of convincing a significant amount of the population that what is going on has to be addressed, that the only way it can be addressed is through the concentration and centralization of power in the hands of politicians. And the reason why they're going to allow those politicians to do things that they normally would never approve of is not simply because they're doing it for the greater good, but they're also doing it to people that deserve it. That's the sort of language that gets really, really scary. And I'm not talking about someone saying, well, you know, hey, you did this, that's the consequence, serves you right, right? That's cause and effect. I understand that. I'm not not talking about that. I'm not talking about, you know, someone getting what's coming to them. I'm talking about a situation where politicians are, are creating an environment where they're saying, we're going to do this to you because we've determined, we've determined you have this coming. This is, this is no longer just kind of the natural result of your actions. This isn't you touching the hot stove and getting burnt. This is us creating the, this is them creating the conditions where they've decided who's just and who's not. And if you need to be punished from, stolen from, locked up, deprived of your liberties, for the greater good that they've determined is both greater and for the good, then so be it. So why do I bring this up in Christmas, right? You're like, this is not, this is not a very Christmas. We got one more podcast before Christmas. It's like, this is not a very cheery subject. Let me tell you why I think it has the potential to be. Because next episode, we're probably going to talk a little bit about, okay, how do you navigate, how do you navigate the holidays, you know, when you got family there? And I, I want to talk about that before Christmas. But I want to start off with this one because I, I want everyone to understand and listen to what I'm saying right now. There are a lot of things that that people do or that people prefer, that acts people might engage in that I might not personally agree with. But at no point am I permitted to see them, that other person, other human being, is anything less than beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God. And not just beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God, but also someone that God thought was so worth redemption and reconciliation and relationship that he was willing to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, to incredible pain and torture in order to achieve two things, justice and reconciliation. The bottom line is, none of us were worthy of that redemption. None of us were worthy of that reconciliation based off of our own merit. It was a positive decision that God made in order to achieve and facilitate that, while at the same time maintaining a sense of justice, which is to say that when something bad or wrong or evil has happened, there has to be a price for that. But there is a way that love is capable of overcoming it while keeping justice intact. 
And as we engage with people, and I mean this message for myself as much as I do anyone listening, because I've been guilty of losing sight of this. When we're debating with that other person, there's times where it might get heated. There are times when we might have very legitimate disagreements. There might be times when someone has legitimately wronged you or is advocating for something that you find to be legitimately evil. Or at the very least, wrong-headed. But the moment we start to put that other human being in a category where we say, where we've made the determination that they're beyond redemption, or they're beyond reconciliation, or they're beyond relationship, that they have now passed over into an area where free from any court of justice, we can decide what their fate is. Where we can punish them not based off of something that they've legitimately done incorrect, but simply because they didn't agree with our policy approach. The moment we have entered into that, we are in very dangerous territory. And it's very important for everyone to understand that wherever you stand on the political spectrum, Everyone is capable of getting to that point. So you better find out how you're not going to get there. And that starts with making a decision. Every time I start to get very frustrated with what's going on in politics, sometimes I get frustrated with my own response or maybe even a lack of progress. Sometimes I might get very, very frustrated with some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. I go back and I remember that God had every right to be frustrated with me, to write me off, to wipe me out and start over. But he chose redemption and justice and love. And we are obligated to make the same decision. Christmas reminds us that we've been given the assistance we need to do something that we never would have been able to do on our own. And that's the ability to accurately and effectively reflect the love, the redemption, the forgiveness that we've found. And to also be honest enough with ourselves when we're the ones that have to step forward and ask forgiveness for something we've said or something we've done. So going forward, let's not just fight for the right philosophies. Let's not just fight for the right political policies. Let's not just fight for the political party that we prefer. Let's fight for love and justice and truth in a season which exemplifies this through the birth, the death, and the eventual resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you all for joining. Happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas. And I look forward. We got one more episode, one more episode before Christmas. Um, and then we'll see you on the, uh, on the other side in 2022. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.